This is Tim Albright with the AV Nation special, taking a look and celebrating Black History Month by interviewing and talking with the Black members of the AV community. With me today is Jasmine West. Jasmine is Branch Coordinator for Conference Technologies. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of things that you're doing in your career uh, in, in a second, because you've got some exciting things. But in general, and, and just kind of a, give us a baseline, tell us a little bit about, about your current position um, in the industry and, and kind of what you do to, to, to help your organization. My current position, I am the coordinator for the office. So everyone always says, oh, coordinators have the hardest job at conference technologies because we kind of keep everyone on track. We monitor uh, equipment coming in. We also the people who send the equipment orders to our purchasing sites internally. We do a lot of interfacing with our customers. Um, usually the branch coordinator is the first person they call, if not the second, uh, to the salesperson if a customer has an issue or they want to know where their equipment's at or when can we start this project or, hey, my project manager said this and I want to know this. It's, we're just a catch-all for the company. I, I a lot of times I will refer to them as as the the quarterback or or kind of the uh, the the traffic cop, right? Yes, uh, especially for for local branches and stuff like that. Is that accurate? Very very accurate. I uh, have a background in theater, okay. so for my theater people, I always say we're the stage managers. We literally ah. that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so t tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the world of AV. You say you have a theater background. How did you get involved, not just with CTI, but in AV in general? Uh, the program I went to was at a college called Texas Wesleyan. And the way that they run their theater program is very much like a grad school program. So that means everything that you see from the production side to the performance, everything is done by the students. And it's an undergrad program, but we built the sets, we do the sound designs, we do the light designs, we do the set designs, costume, anything that needs to be done, every aspect of the show is student ran. And so when you're in the program for your um, bachelor's, they kind of require you to take all the technical courses and you have to have X amount of hours. I think when I was there, it was 360 hours a semester in the theater wow. outside of your courses. <laughs> so a lot of times you end up going over that if you can believe it, but it's like, okay, if you didn't get cast or if you want to learn something, you can offer or apply to be a sound design or to do, you know, stage managing or things like that. And so oftentimes you end up playing multiple roles. You end up doing the box office for the front of the house, or sometimes you end up, you know, doing the light design. I had a part-time job in the scene shop and my favorite part of any production was doing the rig. So there is something about hanging speakers on a rig or your lighting fixtures, climbing up there. I felt like a little spider monkey. I was, <laughs> it was very fun. Um, obviously following OSHA compliances. Yes. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, my foreman would be so mad if she if I didn't add that but um so that was kind of my first taste of AV and of course when you're in theater no one calls it AV it's just you know theater it's just what you do and after I graduated I was looking for jobs and I asked one of my professors I said what is AV there's this company in Dallas like what's what's AV they were like oh it's what you've been doing for four years and I was like oh so I should apply for it and he was like yeah I mean it seems like it's a desk job but yeah sure why not I mean it's in the industry so uh, I applied and landed at Conference Tech. Awesome, and, and I will say, uh, OSHA approved absolutely. But there, <laughs> the the look of the theater is much different uh, 
uh, from that height. And, and it's something that if, if you've never done it, you should do it at least once in your yes. life. Yes. So, um, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so um, you obviously spent, you know, four years uh, in theater uh, and in kind of the, the nuts and bolts of, of, you know, of the industry um, through, through theater and, and, and through kind of the, the live stage uh, portion of it as, as a woman of color and as, as a black person in the industry, both through education, you know, through, through higher education, as well as, you know, um, working in, in, in it on a daily basis, what has been kind of your experience, um, you know, as a black individual in the industry and, and what, what obstacles have you, have you faced? Um, I think my experience for the most part would mirror the experience of a lot of other black individuals who are just working in America, right? Yeah. So regardless of the field, you're going to have um, no microaggressions or sometimes people who don't mean to be offensive, they're making a joke and you're like, haha, it's not funny. Here's why. Um, I will say in theater, it's a bit different because theater is kind of known to be the more accepting or the more diverse even. So the issues I had in theater, especially around AV, weren't necessarily um, as common or blatant. They were like smaller things and it was usually from lack of knowledge or information or a sense of familiarity within the theater. However, in AV, there isn't a lot of black people who work in the field and when I was hired um one of the hiring managers uh we had a very truthful conversation because um when I'm not working my eight to five I do comedy and I write stories and so I had like my website was up and you know they had seen all of that and I said well I want to have this honest conversation you know will I have to change my work outside of being here and he said no he did warn me. He said, AV is a very typically older white males game. He said industry, predominantly white men, a lot of them have been in it for years. And that's the bulk of what you're going to be dealing with. He was like, we're trying to shake that up. I'm trying to change that and slowly, you know, break that up a bit. He was like, but just, you know, this is what you're in for. And I was like, okay, it's fine. You know, everyone says that. And then I, I went to train at corporate and I was like, oh, oh, he... <laughs> He really meant that. He wasn't joking. (laughs) Right. I was like, oh, it was like one meeting after the other was white man, white man. I was like, okay. Well, I mean, they're all nice enough. Um, But I think after around a year of just being in it, you realize small microaggressions are small things. Like sometimes um, I've had a project manager one time say, you know, oh, you know, go make me a sandwich. And I was like, okay, are you, are you saying that because I'm black or are you saying that because I'm a woman or maybe I'm just imagining things and it's not that, but we don't really have, you know, black colleagues to turn to and say, hey, did this sound weird to you? They're kind of just, you know, stuck texting your group chat of friends saying like, hey, this happened at work. What do y'all think? And, you know, thankfully um, with the company, with Conference Tech, they've been very accepting. Um, but there is like a two worlds. Like when I first came on, I felt the need to what we call code switch which is where we use a different speaking voice and different words. We erase some words out of our vernacular to fit in more with the culture, right? 
And some people would say, oh, it's just a professional voice. But when you're a Black person working in a white field, you especially have to heighten that and be on your P's and Q's and just make sure, you know, it's code switching. Whereas if you see a Black person outside of the office, like sometimes uh, my director will see me um, at a comedy show with my Black sketch group, and we talk very differently. It's a American, African-American vernacular English. It's okay. A-A-V-E is what it's known as. Um, and it's a different language. I mean, obviously it's English, but I guess the best way I can explain it would be slang almost, um, but not as aggressive as most people think when they hear slang. Um, yeah, yeah, slang, <laughs> slang has various connotations, absolutely. Right. So it's it's something that when I first came here, I code switched constantly and I wouldn't make, you know, most people in the workplace, if you're in a meeting, they'll make a reference, like a Friends reference or a Seinfeld reference or typically a show that is enjoyed by a white audience. But as a Black person, you're like, well, I can't make my reference because, you know, they're not going to get it. And um, I kind of had an awakening around, I guess, a year and a half here. It was um, back when the George Floyd protest and Breonna Taylor protests were happening. I was seeing companies everywhere come out and make these very bold statements. My friends were emailing me emails they had gotten from their CEOs and their presidents. And I was like, well, my company hasn't said anything. And I was very conflicted with that. So I emailed uh, Kathy Kelly, our vice president, and I very nicely was like, hey, you know, as a Black employee, we all see what's happening. Like, I would have meetings and different people from corporate would say, hey, like, how are you doing? Like, I know what's going on. Are you okay? Do you need anything? And so I was like, people are noticing there's something going on, but there hasn't been a uniformed response to it. And um, thankfully, they did make a donation to the NAACP Legal and Education Fund on my behalf, which is one of the things I requested. But they also sent out like an email and reminded people of the resources that we have for diversity training. And so just being seen, I felt very grateful to be at a company where, A, I felt comfortable opening up that line of communication um, and be where the company was kind enough to really hear me and listen and see me and be transparent to take action. And that doesn't always happen, you know? And after I saw that, okay, this company is going to really accept me, I stopped code switching. You know, I'll be in meetings and I'll make a cool in the gang reference or <laughs> I'll like sometimes I'll say, what up? You know, like what's happening? And like, they all get it. And it's it's been really great. But I think because of the stark contrast of being in AV versus other industries that are more diverse, there is an adjustment period where you're kind of like putting your toe in the pool. Like, okay, can I wear my dreadlocks here? Or should I wear a straight wig? You know, like what's, what's comfortable, what's not comfortable. It just takes a time to find it. But I think that's, with AV, it's a bit more intense because it is so white and male heavy. I'm going to ask a couple of different questions because first of all, I, I've never heard the phrase code, code switching and, and I am fascinated by this. Um, and, and I have said this in darn, darn near every interview that, that we've done in these. I understand where I am. I know what I am. I'm a white guy, right? I'm a straight white guy. I understand that there are some limitations that I have in, in, in doing these interviews, quite frankly, but in, in even, even having these conversations. Explain for, for me, more than anybody, <laughs> and anybody listening to this, some of that process of code switching. And is it, I guess the best way to, to word this, and it's going to be clunky, so I apologize. <laughs> is it harmful? 
it, to have to code switch? Is it is it stressful? Is it, you know, whether that's you know in in a social environment or a work environment? And you you mentioned the fact that as you got more comfortable in in the work environment, as you got you know felt seen and and, and more accepted, you were able to kind of put down that code switching. So help me mm-hmm. kind of unpack that that phrase for a second and how that how that translates. Um, I think so. Is it harmful to code switching? it really depends on where you're at, right? Because um, say I work for a large marketing firm and say they may have hired me as a diversity hire. So if they hired me because they want to diversify their employees, they may not necessarily see me as qualified or possessing the skills necessary to do the work. So if I don't code switch, when they hear me speak in a way that they are not familiar with, for them, it may translate as uneducated or Mm -hmm. ignorant or not cultured, even though I argue, my LinkedIn profile says I'm a Black culture connoisseur. I will argue that (laughs) Black people, it is a culture, Um, a very marketable one at that, but they may see it as uncultured or not well-read or just negative connotations because like, for example, on the other side of that coin, right? Sometimes I'll take a phone call or I'll send an email and someone will compliment me on, wow, your customer service voice or your, you know, the way you took that phone call was so elegant, so nicely put. And, or it's sometimes someone will say, oh, you're so well-spoken, right? And what's interesting is that the amount of white people that get told they're well-spoken versus black people. You know, that's usually something that's reserved for. I, I have a story really quickly, and, and I apologize. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked with one of my, my uh, at the time, one of my dearest friends uh, in radio. This is 100 years ago, so don't, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, his name was David Myers, still mm-hmm. still around, with, still with us today. Um, and David was the afternoon drive um, jock for a uh, adult contemporary adult uh, um, uh, adult contemporary radio station. Mm-hmm. David was a very large black man. Okay, I uh, grew up in Peoria, Illinois, um, just yeah. you know, halfway between St. Louis and and, uh, and Chicago. Yeah, and I, I I remember this, and I and I will probably always remember this. I was I was, we were we were doing a remote, um, and I was helping out. I was a, a morning show producer, and we got to know David really well. And um, one of the first remotes I ever did with him, uh, a listener came up, um, and somebody said something about, "Hey, you." you you want to say hey to David Myers, and they looked at David, and then David, you know, again, not just tall, but also you know, robust. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and uh, I said, "But you're black." And 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 I was Jasmine. I was taken aback. Right? I mean, yeah, he. he I, I understood. You know, right. logically, yes, he's a black man. I, I get that, <laughs> but that's not what that person was saying. Right. And, and inherently saying you don't sound black. Exactly. Right. And understand, I live in St. Louis, and this is where the radio station was. And there, there are, we have a history. Yes. <laughs> um, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I, that was kind of one of the first times, and this is my, you know, early mid twenties, where you kind of start seeing that, and and be, you know, having, you know, having a relationship with Jay, with David was why I was able to see things through kind of his eyes, not entirely, obviously. Yeah. But but some of those those comments sometimes, people mean it sometimes, sometimes mm-hmm. not. 
as as a as, as a compliment, but really yeah. what you're saying is I expected less of you because of the color of your skin. Is that accurate? Exactly. That is okay. that's on the head, which is why code switching is a very popular, I would say, survival tool for okay. Black Americans in the workforce. All right. One other thing I want to hit on before before I let you get out of here, and that is, is something you said about the lack of knowledge of of black individuals in, in the work workplace. Mm-hmm. How do we fix that? How do we um, and, and uh, the the simplest, you know, again, understanding where I am and who I am, the simplest thing for me is just okay, hire more black people and you'll be around them more. <laughs> um, but but in, in all seriousness, you know, how do we how do we educate, you know, a predominantly white male um, uh, environment, predominantly white male uh, industry, to you know, it's not it's not. I'm not talking about acceptance. I'm simply talking about you know, working more closely with people on a day to day basis and increasing our knowledge of of them, of their culture, um, and of what it's like to, to work with them. There are thousands of resources online for companies. There are whole companies who come in and do diversity training. Um, there are obviously online sources like we have where you can sit in front of a computer screen and you know this computer tells you about diversity. But it's different when you have a person of color come in and actually talk to you form a connection and genuinely face-to-face, I mean, not with COVID, but, you know, face-to-face kind of have those conversations and do those workshops. And I think a lot of times what happens is a company gets to a point where they say, we need to do this diversity training and they have a diversity training. And it's like, this is not a one-time special event live at the Apollo. This needs to be a active work. It's active work. It's not something that's passive. You know, I also think that when it comes to getting more Black people into the workplace, part of that starts with keeping the Black people you have at your workplace. Because it's kind of like you don't want to invite someone in to be uncomfortable. And then once they're there, I mean, you have those conversations and you, you talk to your Black employees and most Black employees are going to tell you, you know, Google it. You know, we're not ask a Black person. But um, <laughs> I think that a part of it is starts with like recruitment and starts with checking our biases because um, I do not believe that Black people aren't applying for the jobs. I just believe that their applications aren't being seen or they're being overlooked. Yeah. And not necessarily because of, you know, the fact that they're Black, but when we have unchecked biases, our subconscious makes decisions that we don't realize may isolate certain groups of people, which is why you need bias training. Well, yeah, and there, there is certain, and, and we've, a couple of the other interviews we've done, did we dealt with the, the fact that there are several studies out there about by inherent biases when it comes to, you know, ethnic sounding names, right? Mm-hmm. If, if it doesn't sound or look, quite frankly, Anglo, yeah. Um, then people are less likely to, um, to to even call you back or call you. For yeah, a- and it's it's names and it's colleges. You know, it's sometimes people put their address or location on the application. It's cities. It's a various number of factors, but yeah. name would be the biggest one. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and before we let you go, uh, I do want to give you a platform to talk about some exciting news that you have, uh, <laughs> because Jasmine is heading to one of my favorite places in the entire world. Uh, it is called Second City. And if you're not familiar with it, you need to stop listening right now and then just look up. Uh, if you're a fan of SNL, if you're a fan of comedy, if you're a fan, fan of anything Chicago, 
this is the place <laughs> you have to go. Uh, Jasmine is heading to an MFA program and, and where she will get to work uh, with the fine folks at Second City to explain to folks, you know, kind of what, what you're, where you're headed for and what you're doing. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, I've been doing comedy for the past uh, seven years and uh, predominantly at Dallas Comedy House, which is based in Dallas, Texas, meant they closed due to the pandemic. And uh, I write sketches and screenplays and blogs. I write anything that comes to mind. And so I applied for, you know, with my background in theater and storytelling through theater being my main platform, I applied for an MFA program at DePaul University located in Chicago, Illinois. And they have a standard concentration for screenwriting, but they also have a comedy concentration for screenwriting. And the comedy concentration is in the partnership with Second City Chicago. So the fine people at Second City met up with DePaul and wrote a curriculum for comedic screenwriting. Um, And while you're at the program, you take classes at DePaul, obviously, as your main course, but you also take classes at Second City's Fine Conservatory, which is the best in the nation. It doesn't get funnier than Second City. Um, So that is where I will be headed, Fall 21. Very excited. Very thrilled. They also offered me a scholarship, so I'm just still over the moon and in shock because if you do comedy you know, Second City is the dream. Like Second City is like, you've made it. (laughs) So I'm just very fortunate and happy. You and I could sit here for the rest of the day and talk about all the alumni of Second City. Just, I mean, seriously. (laughs) I am, I am, I am, I I just met you for the first time last week and I am just excited (laughs) for you uh, and excited to know, know somebody that's going to Second City. So thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Jasmine West from Conference Technologies. Thank you uh, for us, for AV Nation. Go by our website. We are not as fancy as Second City, but you know, it's just AV and stuff. Uh, AVNation.tv, that's AVNation.tv. You'll find this and uh, check out our two weekly programs. One looks at the residential side of AV, the other at the commercial side of AV. All that and more at AVNation.tv. That's AVNation.tv. 